This is the On the Touchline podcast. We're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rogers. Welcome to the show. So welcome back to the On the Touchline podcast. In this episode, Aaron and I talk to Evie Casagrande. And if you've heard the name Easy Casagrande in the world of strength and conditioning, she's actually the strength and conditioning coach for the Orlando Pride of the NWSL. And a shout out to our mutual friend, Lindsay Basiliga, for connecting us to Evie. Uh, Aaron, um, you've actually coached against Evie uh, when she was a player at Bowling Green. But um, Evie has an interesting backstory of growing up in Brazil and coming to the States. Yeah. Um, Lindsay obviously speaks very highly of Evie. And, you know, I, I knew of her, I know of her work from BG when she was a uh, GA working there studying kinesiology and working with the team as a sports performance coach and I'm just looking forward to learning about her journey through being a player at BG being the sports conditioning coach sports performance coach at BG and then what happened in the path that she took to get where she is now at Orlando Pride yeah I think the um, value of strength and conditioning coaches is really um, probably understated because many of us um, are working in environments where we may not have access to that person, or we are that person. And I've actually had this conversation with um, a, a friend of mine um, who works in the, the strength and conditioning world. And um, when I was named uh, a head coach in my, my current job, um, she said to me, she goes, so who's your strength and conditioning person? And I, I raised my hand and I said, you're looking at him. Uh, <laughs> so I think if we're able to give the listening audience some takeaways and some things they can put in their back pocket, um, whether it be a youth environment, a high school environment, a college environment, middle school environment, whatever, they can at least take them and apply them to what they're trying to do to, to work with their, their athletes. I, so, I think that that's uh, so important that even if you do have a strength and conditioning coach to understand the process of a soccer player and how they should be developed from a sports performance standpoint, you might be able to go back to your strength coach and have an open dialogue and have some, have some knowledge so that they look at you and they recognize that you have understanding and you're trying to do the best for your student athletes or your athletes, um, I think uh, hopefully we'll gain some of that information. Yeah. Um, so before we get to Evie, um, you can find this podcast on all major podcasting platforms. And if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, we'd love for you to go there right now, leave a five-star rating and a brief review for the show. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss a new episode when we publish on Wednesday mornings. And Aaron, um, before we get to Evie, if people want to connect with you on social media and follow along with what you're doing at Ohio Women's Soccer, how can they do that? At Ohio Soccer Coach, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Soccer Coach JB, uh, also on the same platforms. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with our guest, Evie Casagrande. Well, Evie uh, Casagrande, thank you for coming on the On the Touchline podcast. 
And thank you to our mutual connection of uh, Lindsay Basiliga uh, for um, turning your work on to Aaron and I. And, you know, the, the great thing about this podcast, Evie, is that um, we really try to hit all avenues of the game of football and not just the coaching aspect and what coaches might be going through, but also, um, you know, as it relates to strength and conditioning and fitness and nutrition and the psychological side of the game and, you know, all these things sort of intersecting um, with one another. So um, if people in the, the strength and conditioning world are, I'm sure, familiar with your name, um, but for folks listening to this, that um, may not know your backstory and how you got to where you are with the Orlando Pride. Um, I'm very curious to, to hear um, because it's actually a, a really interesting backstory um, of how you got to where you are. Yes, um, thanks for uh, inviting me to be part of the podcast. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's quite a long story, but I, I'll try to, to get, as, as, you know, I'm not gonna put m much detail to it otherwise we'll stay here all day but um but i'm from brazil originally so i grew up playing soccer both of my biological dad and stepdad uh were soccer players so um i literally was uh spent probably my entire childhood watching my uh, biological dad play professionally uh i watched my stepdad play as a goalkeeper futsal um so that kind of started the fire in me since I was young. Uh, in Brazil, um, I think it's getting better now, but I was the only uh, girl playing with boys uh, when I was, I started, I think when I was five, five years old. Um, and I was the only, only girl. And, um, and I had so much fun with soccer. And I, since then, I'm like, it's something that I talked to my mom since I was six years old. I'm like, you know what, mom, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live in Brazil. I think I'm going to, soccer is going to take me somewhere. Like I'm going to go to the U.S. like since young. Um, so I, I grew up playing soccer and um, I went to high school and I played soccer with boys um, until when I was a little bit, when I was, I think 15, 15 years old. Um, and I played futsal my entire life because that's what high school's, uh, in Brazil actually offer. There's not a lot of high schools in Brazil that actually play soccer uh, or have the structure of high schools here in the U.S. So uh play futsal my entire life. And then I got an invitation from my uncle. He's like, you know what? There's a Brazilian national team here coming to our town and they're doing like a, a tryout for under 17 uh, soccer, uh, Brazil national team. I'm like, I just, I looked at him like, there's no way I, I never play soccer. I just play futsal. I don't even, I, I don't even have cleats. So, um, and then he goes, no, I'll go right now to the store. We'll, we'll buy cleats and then we'll go just, you know, just have fun, try it out. So I did that. So I, I went to the store, I bought myself cleats and just went straight to the tryouts. It was about 200 uh, girls trying it out and I was pretty nervous, but try to just, you know, have fun. Um, it was a four-day tryout. So every day they would uh, select players, more players, and kind of the numbers would go down. And I kept being selected one one day at a time. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should invest in this and uh, continue to kind of find a team to play. 
Um, so I made it to the final 22. Um, so that, that group, they created a kind of a state team. So I was involved with that. So I, I was in that state team for uh, a year. And then from that group, there's nine pre-selected players for the under 17. And I was pre-selected, but only three on, on that group was actually selected and went to train with them. So for me, I didn't really want to, uh, to go to the, I mean, I was super scared, but I was super happy that I actually made it. Um, so I made contacts with the professional team. Some of the girls that played that in that tryout were in the, the professional team, Atletico Mineiro. I don't know if you guys heard about the team where, Ronaldo and Gaúcho played, but the women's side. So um, I talked to them. I said, you know, where do you guys train? I want to try it out. So I went there in their training. It was like, it was didn't even have grass. The fields didn't even have grass. It was all like dust fields. And uh, it was crazy, uh, but amazing. And I, I made it, I tried out, I made it through it. And I started doing, uh, I started training with them, the professional club. But I was in uh, one of the hardest high schools in, in, in my hometown. So it was really hard to conciliate both things. Um, I did it for a year, and then it got to a point. I'm like, okay, I need to try to figure something out. If I'm going to invest in soccer, I probably need to go to a, a easier school to kind of make sure I can go and, and do that. Um, so I did. I moved to my favorite high school. I moved from my favorite high school to another high school just to um, have the load, a better load from soccer and, and school. Um, and then since then, I am like, okay, I need to, I need to stay away from Brazil because once I, I get older, I'm going to have to choose between soccer and school. And education is huge for me. Um, I always wanted to be a doctor. So what I did was... Um, I said, okay, what do I do now? I'm in this professional team. I'm about to finish high school soon. Um, I got an invitation to try out for American high school in my hometown. So it's pretty much a, a school where they speak English, where they actually follow the American pathway in terms of having a, a soccer practice after school um, and all English. And my English was really basic based on our high school classes but I said you know this is going to be perfect so I got a scholarship to play for that high school team in my hometown I had to leave that professional team because there's no way I could I I used to take like two trains two buses to get to practice and I would leave right after school and I'll come back home about 10 30 p.m um and I would not be able to do that with school so Got to the American high school, which was perfect. I would play play uh, soccer. I would learn the language. I would take classes, prepare for the SAT. And then that's when I started. I had the help with one of my coaches uh, from the high school team. And um, he's like, you know, let's start getting your video together. Let's uh, record all our games. And um, I want to make sure you're prepared physically, especially because the fitness is always something that, in Brazil, they, they would say to us, it's like, you need to be fit. There's no Brazilian way to do things in, in America. Like you can be as, as good as you, as you, as you are, but if you're not fit, you're not going to make it. Um, so I take, I took that to like, I started running like crazy. Um, 
and, um, and I was fortunate enough to get a, a video together. He helped me out. I had some coaches from, from all kinds of universities going to Brazil to watch me play. Um, and I ended up having very good five offers, full rides to come. And I picked uh, Bowling Green as everybody's like, why did you pick Bowling Green, Ohio, in the middle of nowhere? Um, but I wanted to really be involved in uh, the American culture. And the other schools were like, in Texas and big cities, it was in Florida where there's still a lot of Brazilians around. So I'm like, I, you know, I want to go somewhere that it's, I'm going to be pretty much stuck with Americans. And like, so I can really like learn the language and, and do that. So it was rough in the beginning. I had um, my first year, well, my first week, actually, um, it was uh, the NCAA came after me because apparently my, my grades, because I was one of like, it was not a big thing of like Brazilians coming to America. So I think NCAA was like just starting to figure out the American system, the Brazilian system of grades. So according to them, my grades wouldn't make the GPA that I would be uh, um, allowed to play. So yeah, it was awful. So I had to stay 15 days without seeing anybody on the team and just stuck in the dorm room. And that was like the first two weeks I was in America and I was the only Brazilian in the, in, in the university. I was, I think I was the first international in that program to ever play for the, the soccer team. So, but everything worked out. Um, I was made to stay in BG. It was amazing four years, a lot of challenges, but um, I knew what I wanted. Uh, so I was a pre-med in college um, and then I went to, um, I did pre-med, I played for all the, the, the four years. And then after I graduated, I wanted to go to med school. So I started studying for the MCAT, which was really hard. And then I went to, as soon as I got done, I'm like, okay, I need to get out of Bowling Green for a little bit. So I moved to California. Um, I don't know why I just, I just thought it was cool. So I moved all everything. I had a 1997 Toyota Corolla and I pretty much took everything I'm like I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna figure life out and got there didn't know anybody just knew a family that was awesome enough to provide me with the room and then I was working with like five different jobs three volunteers trying to get money but I just wanted to know like what exactly I wanted to do and I didn't I knew I was gonna go to be a doctor but at the same time I wanted to play pro I got a sports agent in the meantime that stole my money and just disappeared. So it was that year that I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. So that, that was when um, I did the MCAT twice, realized I couldn't go, to, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford as an international med school. Um, and I missed soccer. So um, long story short, the, my sports psychologist from BG sent me an email and said, you know, uh, I'm the director of this master's program now, and it's a kinesiology program. And I don't know if that interests you, but I think it would be really cool for you to get, come back to BG, be involved with the soccer team again, like as a, as a GA or something like that. So that's what I did. So 2015, the end of 2015, I went back to BG. And Lindsay um, was the person that opened the doors to me to like, okay, you can come here, you can volunteer and just try things out 
doing your master's. So um, with my master's, I was learning so much and I was so passionate about sports science. Like all of a sudden I'm like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, and then Lindsay opened, opened that opportunity for me to work with the team that I play, which for me was awesome. Um, and then from then on, I, it just started my learning experience as a coach. Um, so that, that during those, my first years of my master's, I was able to be an intern for Axos, a sports performance in, in Los Angeles, which was my dream internship as a master's student doing the sports science part. Um, and then I decided to go again, didn't have money. And I went back to LA. I'm like, okay, how I'm going to do this. My friends gave me their couch and I spent four months there um, doing that internship because I knew it was going to take me somewhere. I knew that it was going to be good. So intern with LA Galaxy during that internship, coached uh, Arsenal players, um, amazing, like the professional tennis player and Sloan Stevens and had the most amazing experience ever. Um, and then met my current mentors that really helped help me to guide the way uh offered me opportunities to go to europe to visit them so the next year my second year of my master's i did a two-year professional professional development trip in europe where i spent uh 15 days with arsenal like learning everything with their academies with the first team with fc basel aston villa and just pretty much taken all in just learning from the best coaches out there and starting to pretty much getting my methodology my philosophy together um getting the the best from from the, the coaches that i i follow and um and then yeah i was still the the bgsu sports performance coach throughout my master's degree um it was amazing because I applied literally everything that I was learning and didn't have a mentor there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this and I'm going to learn with my mistakes. We'll see what happens. Hopefully I'm not going to hurt any player doing this. And, and that ended up awesome. Like I, I learned, made a lot of mistakes, but also um, that's when I really created I, my coaching philosophy. Um, and then I finished my master's there. Um, so almost over. Finished my master's. Went to Farmington Hills, Michigan. Uh, got offered a director of sports performance role there in a youth athletic training facility, um, which was really exciting and scary, like really scary at the, first, like the same time because it was a private company, something different that I was used to. And I was going to be the director, which leadership was something that I really needed to work on. Cause I was really like quiet and like I needed to develop that coaching voice. And we just started from scratch. That company is, is a franchise, but in the Michigan and the Farmington Hills one, we're just um, opening a Michigan location. So pretty much I would be developing my own philosophy alongside with what they believed. And from that year on, um, it was one of the best uh, years for me professionally because at the same a year and a half I was able to apply what I what I wanted um, completely took it all out the first two months and, and said this is not going to work because I tried to apply all my methodology from Exos of 
coaching elite athletes to youth. And then the kids were like, this is so boring. So try to develop my own philosophy within that. How can I be creative? How can I be engaging? But still teaching kids how to move better because it was something that I was in shock was how kids are just spending their time playing video games and not interacting with each other and having terrible movement mechanics um, as a kid, not playing outside. So the fact that I could really impact that and find ways to really engage them in, in different things where I would still teach them how to do strength training, still teach them the movement quality mechanics. Um, so that was amazing, amazing journey for me to realize those things. And at the same year, 2018, I was in, uh, invited to be part of the U.S. national team youth uh, levels as a sports scientist, as a per diem. So I did a bunch of trips with the national teams, uh, youth national teams as a sports scientist during that period. Um, and then... April last year, I, I applied to this job and I got referred for, to this job by by some people. And I'm like, you know, um, that can be my next step. And I was pretty scared because professional level, I, I was in professional level, but as an intern, it's so different when you're in the main role. Uh, but I took it all in. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I need that next step because I'm, I'm, I have big ambition and I was like, okay, as soon as I started seeing that I was kind of plateauing where I was, I decided I need, to, I need to go for a new challenge. And that came in the right time. And here I am, second season with the Pride, starting in one week. And uh, it was quite a year last year. I arrived after preseason. Um, and again, crazy the amount of things that I learned um, the past year and have been learning and kind of – applying and trying to figure things out um but again it's it's been crazy it's been a crazy journey and so awesome at the same time so um yeah so one week we start the the madness madness again and it's going to be crazy uh so I re i'm really excited for it Evie, you said um there, there's two words that i wrote down uh big ambition and you know i'm listening to your story and the, the twists and the turns and the the ups and the downs and the um you know the the hurdles uh figuratively and literally you probably had to jump over to get to where you are um and i i would venture to say that your work ethic to get to where you are uh professionally is you know off the charts good and something that um you know young people listening to this can really look at, I think, as an example. And I, I wonder for you what that was like. And if you've ever had a chance to kind of reflect on, wow, you know, I grew up in a, in a different country, speaking a different language. Um, I, I learned English. I came to the U.S. I went to a place in, you know, middle of nowhere, Ohio. <laughs> uh, you know, you kept putting yourself in these um, situations where, most people would say, I would be incredibly uncomfortable to do any of that. And I wonder if you've reflected back on that in, you know, just the, the courage, the, the perseverance, the, uh, you know, the little voice in your head saying, keep going, 
you know, don't, don't quit, keep going. Yeah, I think, yeah, most definitely a lot of times. And I try to actually use that as a, a mental note every time I kind of get frustrated and I'm like, you know, doubting myself with uh, some stuff. And I always try to go and then I have a, a roadmap that I always have to really remind me where I started and where I want to finish, where like, what is my long-term end goal and everything in between that happened um, to really remind me to that it was a journey. And, you know, when hard things come, it's just it's always good to kind of get back to it and be like, okay, you have high standards for yourself, but you need to understand that you need to relax and you've accomplished, you know, um, a lot of things. But again, this is just the beginning for me. And that's kind of what fuels me for, to keep going. Um, it's funny. Cause like when I, when I feel like things are going too well, I get like really uncomfortable. I'm like, okay, where, where, where's the next thing coming? Cause uh, you know, if it comes, I'm ready for it. Um, you so that like I, I, I <laughs> right. Seriously. Yeah. So I just try, I really try to make that as a fuel, uh, to con- continuously keep going and, and I know that whatever comes, I'll find a way to, to get the job done. Um, and I'll always do that. Um, I don't think I would ever allow myself to, to quit. <laughs> so. I think one of the, the, I think one of the things that you said, and Jason, you just mentioned this is that you went where the opportunities were for coaching. Mm-hmm. And I think right. that is such a, an important thing for people to recognize and to understand that sometimes you don't have control of mm-hmm. the experiences that you're chasing. And right. you, you, how many, you went to California a couple times and then you went to, to Michigan and, or before being back at BG. And, and those things, those messages are so vital to learning the craft and learning your skill set. And I think that's so valuable for young coaches, for older coaches. I mean, we've had, we've had older experienced coaches that are, you know, been coaching 20 years that had to go down those paths as well and had to recognize, right. oh, I've got to go here now. I've got to go there now. Um, but as you've done that, what are the things that you take away from your playing career mm-hmm. to the position that you're in now? Um, well, a lot of things. I think as a, as a player, I think I, I had to overcome a lot of things, uh, especially coming from Brazil and, and going through a completely different style of soccer here in, in terms of physicality, uh, especially. Um, I went through a, a really frustrating two years of my college career where I, I hurt my back really bad during weight training, which is really funny when I look <laughs> back. Irony. I'm like, <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, okay, I went to do a trap bar deadlift, not have really good, uh, somebody that was really teaching me how to do it and that screwed my back. So um, going through that and that process of like constantly like, okay, I'm feeling better. I go play. And then I tweak my back again, have to like take 5,000 steps uh, back to, 
to go again and then do the same thing and then it hurts again um and always having that okay I'm here for a reason like I there's there's something here and in my coaching career the same thing happens all the time where I I always wonder you know is it really worth it like with the stress and the whatever I'm dealing with and then it always comes back to okay what what is my end goal um am I gonna be able to achieve that um so yeah I think definitely as a player I never like I was never the one that would give up so like as a player I would I'll stay I would come the earlier possible the earliest possible do extra reps I'll stay as late as possible do the extra reps you know even when I was not playing at all like in my first two years of my career I still I still try to take the little things and like okay what can I take as a as something that's gonna make me grow you know what can I do to really instead of just keep complaining about things and I think even right now in my coaching career I I you know I check myself doing the same thing there's so, a lot of times that I'm like so frustrated to and things that I can't control really um that I go back to the same principles you know I'm gonna come here I'm gonna get here early I'm gonna control what I can control I'm gonna stay here until late to figure this out uh so yeah so that's kind of the same thing um even when I was a, a player and as a coach as I see myself uh working so hard sometimes I didn't recover well sometimes when I was a player because I couldn't stop and as a coach I pretty much have the same problem so that's something that I I continuously ha I have to keep reminding myself like I tell my players to recover I tell my players the importance of recovering at the same time as a coach I have to do the same so those reminders when I was a kind of the same experience when I was a player and as a coach I try to keep keep trying to bring that um every time do you think that I mean recovery is massive and obviously we're encouraging our players over and over sleep obviously hydration nutrition all those things is there is there one thing other than the recovery part that you you remember you're saying as a player gosh I wish these things happened or this happened or we were able to do this that now as a as a sports performance coach you're integrating that into your your um, plan your execution of what you do it's funny because I actually play semi-pro where when I was uh, doing my master's which was awesome because I was like all right this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna play again and it's gonna be a semi-pro I played for Toledo Villa uh, for a year and um, it was really a really interesting experience because for the first time I could actually try things out as a coach and as a player um, on my on, on in my like on myself so it was really really interesting because I, I wish to be honest wish I had more coaches that would be more worried about our movement quality or instead of the mental toughness part that would always be in the college system like I felt like when I looked back it was all about the mental toughness mm -hmm. but that mental toughness how to get to that mental toughness sometimes like now as a coach I, I look back and I'm like oh my god the things that they made us do 
like as a player. It was just crazy. Um, so um, that's definitely something that I wish we had coaches. And I knew, and I know that like, and I, I'm talking about strength conditioning coaches, and um, but also coaches that understand that part because I think it's important too. Because um, now that I work with um, the coaching staff and how I, I can't stress the importance of the communication between a strength conditioning coach and a technical mm-hmm. staff, like mm-hmm. it's so important. Uh, and back then, there's not like it's still a lot of college that don't communicate at all like the strength condition coach to do their thing in the gym and then you know they're even like not a lot of sports performance coaches that actually are in training sessions and in gym in the college world so I think having coaches that would understand that both technical coaches and strength conditioning coaches that would understand that they're so this it's so important to be able to be on the same page and communicate because what I do as a sports performance coach, like in a warm up or in a gym, it has to, to be tied to what the coaches are doing on the field. And that's for injury prevention. That's for maximizing performance and all that. So I think definitely that would be the, like the main thing when I look back as I reflect my co- like my player career and, uh, in my coaching career, that would be definitely the best thing. Let me ask a follow-up question to that then. So you're talking about you want the strength and conditioning coaches, sports performance coaches to focus more on the movement quality than just throwing up reps for that mental strength. Hey, go mm-hmm. push, push, push. Right. When you talk about movement quality, are you just talking about the biomechanic movement through the different lifts and through the through mm-hmm. the activities that they're doing and really focusing on that as you said, because you hurt your back because you didn't know how properly to move through that lift. Is, is that what you're talking about? Is that what you're meaning? In, as yeah. Movement quality? Both. I would say both. I would say if we're talking about the gym, um, I would say having players own the positions, own movements. So, for example, I get players coming from college that they just go, 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 because that's the, sometimes the mentality they have to do, mm-hmm. right? It's just mm-hmm. the mental toughness. So, um, so a lot of those players are freaking strong and athletic, but then once you slow them down and you see their movement in real time, like when you, and I'm really big fan of like recording in slow motion. So if you analyze movement at a standpoint of the game itself, like how as a defender, are you decelerating to change direction? Are you being able actually to decelerate? Well, are you able to, you know, do it in an efficient way and safe way. And then how can you correlate that to what you do in the gym? Because that's going to be highly correlated. Mm-hmm. So if you don't, if you don't know how to slow down doing a lift, you're probably not going to be able to slow down and own positions and control positions in the middle of chaos of soccer, which, um, <laughs> which is for me, is like, it's crazy, right? Because when you think about soccer, you think about, all the chaos that comes with it, all the unpredictable things and not being able to control your body. That's, I think that's the biggest thing. So even in our gym sessions, like there are times that I'm going to tell them that they need to go fast, but that's, if I'm doing a power session, then yeah, you go fast. 
But if I'm doing an, another different gym focused on strength, I'll tell them to like do a squat and they hold the bottom position for at least three seconds and breathe in that position. So they really actually are owning the movement because that would really correlate to a deceleration in the, uh, on the field, you know? Are you able to really decelerate and hold, like you're not going to hold a position, but like your body's going to be way more controlled uh, to do that. So, so I think that's what, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, um, I, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful stuff. I would love for you to talk to our strength coach too, because he's, <laughs> but because, you know, you talk about, you know, even in collegiate level, um, right. a lot of strength and conditioning coaches are, they, they, they coach one style. They coach right. for strength strength and that's about it you know because right. it's for football or it's for basketball right. and, and i yeah. think the more obviously we're seeing more and more and more sports performance coaches like yourself that are uh, mm -hmm. sport specific and mm -hmm. and those that learn and want to learn and want to understand the different movements and and what you talk about about the, the movement uh, quality of posi position specific movement is so key right. to every sport but mm -hmm. it has to be trickled down to, to soccer as well. But again, this gets into, you know, uh, staffing and I mean, you're at a professional club, so you're there right. specifically for that. So, you know, I right. think exactly. being able to, to cross train strength and conditioning coaches to understand, because our, our guy, our coach, you know, he does multiple sports. He doesn't just yeah. do soccer. He's doing basketball. He's doing softball. He's, do, you know, so, and, and a lot yeah, of, and, and I think it's, it's, easy for me to say because exactly i'm i'm yeah. in but i've 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 been in in the college collegiate setting too um but yeah i think it's it, it's really important to understand the demands of the game even if you you're not there um in that sport but just do the research of like okay what is the key performance indicators of a, a soccer player like of a specific position right be able to decelerate to reaccelerate, to change direction. And all those things are just little small details that can guide you so much through your programming in the gym or, you know, and what cues you, you use with your team, what exercise you use in a warm-up, for example. Um, so understanding the game demands, I think it, it's important. It doesn't mean that you have to create, do you have to do a specific exercise in the gym There are, completely soccer specific like it's not to that extent but how can you pretty much focus and and uh work on specific on those demands so for example like a deceleration you do a lot of single leg reverse lunge or front lunges to really control the eccentric part of the movement that really control that um that part the same thing with stability can you create an exercise that will challenge our stability and all that stuff? So, um, so I think, yeah, understanding the demands of the game, it's huge. Evie, I'm always fascinated when we talk to coaches and, and people in our game that, um, you know, the, the forming of the philosophy or the methodology, um, because it isn't something that I think for all of us that you wake up one day whether you're in an education program or it's practical experience of being a player or, you know, hands-on experience of being a coach. But it, it, I, what I compare it to is throwing an idea against the wall, hoping it sticks 
and going, well, hold on. I've now, I've now tried to apply that idea, but you know what? That actually doesn't work the way I kind of envisioned it. So I need to go back to the drawing board and I need to, you know, throw something else against the wall and see if that sticks. And I wonder for you, um, you'd mentioned early on about methodology and philosophy. And I, I'm getting the sense, um, just hearing you talk, that you know, there's definitely a connection or the application of, um, you know, if you want to call it game-like movements or if you want to call it something that they would be doing in the game of soccer, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to do that as many times as possible in a strength and conditioning environment. Um, you know, acceleration, de- deceleration. Um, you know, my my college guys that I work with, they sort of laughed at me and they were, I think, blown away when we got into the weight room recently. And I wasn't, you know, that enamored with trying to put up crazy amounts of weight, you know, uh, and they're like, wait, you don't care about those things? No, I, I, I don't. Um, I, I want us to be, uh, you know, flexible and I want us to you know, in some ways, almost take on the shape of water. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're very adaptable. And I, I quite truthfully, what I think a soccer player and a footballer looks like mm-hmm. is challenging them to look at it a little bit differently. And so to, right. to tie this all together, I wonder about that process of nailing down your methodology and philosophy of what that was like in sort of the you know, getting into your mindset or getting into the uh, you know, trying ideas and going, well, I kind of like that. That kind of worked. But then, you know, I was working with young, young athletes and I was trying to apply sort of a professional, you know, methodology and like, well, maybe that didn't work quite as well. And how you adapted to that, um, you know, as a, as a professional. Yeah. And I think that's the, uh, the fun part about coaching. And I think that's kind of uh, what really motivates me to keep, keep going. And, it's, I think that there's a lot of things. Uh, one of the main things for me is the importance of having mentors uh, around me. That be that voice that they don't tell me exactly what I have to be doing, but they, they pretty much, uh, they ask questions and instead of providing answers pretty much. So um, every time I kind of like, okay, what do you guys think about this? Is it stupid? Like, I feel like in my head, this works so well. And then they just, instead of doing, okay, why don't you use this, this, this? They go and they ask some questions. Like, all right, if you use that, what are what would be the things that you really have to be careful about? Or, you know, and they pretty much open my, my, my brain. It's like, okay. You just made me more confused, but it's okay. But that's but that's pretty much how kind of how I started putting everything together. And I see coaching um, as a is a big puzzle, and you just have to like keep getting the pieces together um, in order for the entire thing to work. And those pieces are, and that can be like um, movement quality that can be psychology that can be recover everything that's gonna get me to where I want them to be that holistic approach um and again there's so many times like last year that I I was like oh my gosh I have this amazing plan on my in my mind that this warm-up that I created is gonna be amazing like it's just hold on guys like look at this and then when I do it 
I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awful. There's no flow to it. I got to the point that I, I told the players, guys, scratch that off, like forget about it. And I just laughed about it, you know. At, at first I was like really tense that I, what they're going to think about it. And then I'm like, no, I'm just going to laugh and I'm just going to turn the page and then this, does, this didn't work. So next thing, what do I have to do to make that work? So that's literally what happens for me every day. Like there's one day I'm in the gym and I'm doing like a specific workout. And then one of my players asked me a question. Why, why do I, what if we do this in a different way? Like, can I try this? And then you just created a, a progression to the exercise that you just came up with. So um, I think that's evolving every time. Like I say my, my methodology, my philosophy, but it's not really set. It's like changing every single day. What I do is I try to learn from everybody, not only the best coaches that I see, like that I look up to, but also those young coaches, my interns, they're like challenging me, challenging me every day to try different things. And I think as a young coach, you always get stuck sometimes and like, okay, you always look at those gurus, like coaches that you always look up to, but then you forget about those young coaches, those interns, they're having so much to say, so much to like offer that you can really learn from. And again, I learn every day from them. Like I, I challenge them. I pay it forward as a, somebody that like, I, I had so many amazing mentors that still, I have four mentors that I literally almost talk every day. And those are coaches, really um, like amazing coaches, young coaches, big time coaches, all those together. And I, I try to challenge them every day. I'm like, okay, try this today. Look, what do you think? Can I make this better? And then they offer their perspective on it. And then slowly but surely, I try to get the most out of the best out of them and, um, and develop that philosophy, quote unquote philosophy that it's always evolving. We talk a lot uh, on the show and, and Aaron and I are, are big believers as coaches of the, the psychological and the, the social side, you know, of our game. And I just wonder about that relationship, um, you know, between coach and athlete and just, you know, uh, it, it's so important. It's so sacred at times because, you know, they'll confide in you. They'll, um, you know, they're placing a lot of trust in you uh, to help get them to where they want to go. But sometimes they can also be resistant and sometimes they can push back and sometimes they can challenge or ask questions or, you know, whatever it might be. And I, you know, for me, I think that's one of the, the greatest things about coaching is that, um, you know, it's, it's a psychological minefield in a very positive way because you're trying to piece all these things together. And I wonder what it's like in a, a strength and conditioning environment where you're trying to build that relationship and that trust with an athlete, uh, in this case, uh, you know, a professional athlete. Right. I think it's, it's tricky. And as soon as I got to this position, I started really developing that sense because you see players, uh, especially at the professional level, that they've been everywhere and they have been coached by so many different people with so many different strength conditioning coaches with completely different ideas, with completely different, you know. So a lot of them come with the, that uh, 
already preconcepted like thought of this is how I work, this is how it works and all that. So in what I, what I learned and what I've been learning is you got to meet them halfway uh, with players and, and athletes. Like you always, you cannot just force things into them at all. Like you just have to slowly but surely get those little things in there um, until they realize that that might be good for them. If it's not good for them, you just go on with it and find find different ways, and um, and that process of always meeting them halfway and that that guides my like most of my um, coaching career, especially like with return to play protocols, with things that like if injured players are coming back from injury and I'm treating them, I always 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 their feedback is for me, one of the most important things that's going to guide me through it. I can have the most amazing protocols physiologically, mechanically, that's like, okay, this is how you should be doing every step of your rehab. But then again, if they feel like shit in one day, and if they're not feeling something, if something happened outside of soccer that they didn't sleep well, all that stuff, my plan goes to like, goes goes to trash so understanding that that flexibility of and understanding that your plan is just a plan but that it's always going to change especially based on your athletes relationship with you in terms of like what um and them trusting you to like okay i don't feel good today like it's not it's not to the point that like when i was a player when i said i don't feel good the coaches will look at me and like, you're being weak. You're mentally weak. So developing that trust with the players that if you guys are honest with us, I'm going to help you. It's, it's, it's nothing for me, for my ego, for anything. It's to help you. So if you don't give me honest answers on your readiness questionnaire, like how, where are you sleeping, all, all, like, all that, it's just, it's, you're not going to get better because I'm not going to maximize your performance because you're probably not saying the right, the, the, the honest thing. So got to a point that they understand that and they're honest enough when they feel like crap, they will tell me, and I'm going to not going to think that this is weakness. I'm going to say, okay, maybe we need to take a step back. Let's manage you. Let's doesn't mean I'm going to say, all right, sit there. You're just going to relax today. No, it's just, I'm going to load you differently. I'm going to change different things based on how they're feeling. I think that's huge. And that's how I think you build the connection with your athlete is, is that two-way relationship where they understand that you are there for their interests. Like you are doing your things, not for ego sake. You're not doing this to look cool is because you're, you really care about them. Um, and then they automatically is going to get them to be really honest with you. And that's, I think that's one of the challenges that I had in the college system when I started as a sports performance coach there, just because of that mental toughness, that fear of the athletes to really be honest about those little things. Cause mm. they, they knew that if, if they were honest, they're going to be judged and they're the, probably the coach going to make them run because they're, being too weak so there's a fine line right you don't want 
them to like be telling you like, okay, I, I, I don't want to do fitness today. So I'm just going to say, I don't feel too good. Um, but how can you get to the point that you actually trust them that it's their honest opinion is their honest feedback. So that was really hard for me when I started to kind of show them that I was, uh, I was there to help them. And that, that it took me sit everybody on a classroom where I would show them the data and what, how I use the data and really educate them. And I think that's the biggest thing that coaches need to understand. Like you need to educate your athletes and have them participate in the process too. Because as an athlete, I want to know why I do certain things. I, that's how I'm going to buy into it. If you just tell me like, oh, you're going you're gonna to run today is a surprise. Like I'm not going to tell you what you're running. Then you can do that too. There's place for that, right? Like, there's always place for a mental toughness run. I think that's important too. Like just do a crazy run just to get your mental toughness. There's time and place. Um, but also – how can you really educate them and make them part of the process? Educate, even as a sports science, to the boring things, but players love it. Players love, like my players love to see their data. And, and they're like, why, why do I need to do this? And I'm like, well, you're running after a game. It's not because I'm punishing you. It's because actually I'm preparing you for, for when the coaches need you. You're not underprepared and you're going to be fatigued faster and you're just going to get hurt so that I think that part of education it was really important in my process as a young coach to understand that they need that feedback from you um they need to understand why they're doing um those things so Evie I don't know if Aaron ever told you but um his favorite four words in coaching are get on the line oh oh no. Nice. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh. It's so far from it. Oh, come on. Come on. Get on the line. It's so okay. far from it. It's okay. It. It's, it's a judge, judgment-free zone here. Yeah, no, that is so far from what I and you know, And you know, you know, it's, always, it's funny because I always, and that's the Twitter world that I get so pissed off. Sometimes people don't understand context. Yeah. Everybody sure. has their own context, so. No judgments. You know, it's funny, anecdotally speaking, it's totally, I mean, it's just interesting. You were talking about the readiness apps and the, and even the, the professional players don't always tell the truth on those things. It's so, that so fascinates because we do it too. <clears throat> Sorry. We do it too here. And, and, you know, and I, and I tell our players, and I think our players are pretty good about, about the saying their nutrition, saying their sleep saying their sleep quality, you know, and their stress levels. And, and I was listening, and it's interesting that you say that because I was listening to another coach um, of an NWSL club and he was mm -hmm. saying the same thing that those players, mm -hmm. they won't say that. I'm thinking they're pros, man. They should. I think of my yeah. college, the college players. Yeah, I get that. Cause they're like, oh, I was out or whatever, you know, coach doesn't need to know that, but I'm like, yeah. man, that's, it's, I don't know. I guess perfectionists are all over the place, but just found it fascinating. Nothing to do I with think it. I think it. I think it really depends on. It's the culture too that you're creating in your team, and and you know if you if it, again it's a two way two way thing. Um, and again, the education part is huge for me. Yeah. I think that's you know 
um, is just numbers. But how how are you using those numbers? They have to know why you use them too. That's what I keep telling them. Listen, I mean, I don't I don't care. I mean, I care, but I'm not right. I'm not judging you on your lifestyle choices at that moment. I'm trying to to determine how we're going to train you and how we're going to best prepare right. you based on your emotional, psychological, physiological state that you're in. As a, right. I mean, now if you're not sleeping but five hours a night, then we can talk to you more about that and educate you on why you need to have more sleep. But right. not you're not getting on the line because you got <laughs> five hours. It start. I think it's good because it starts a conversation, um, and it starts a you know just something to to really get your athletes to for you to understand your athletes and and start that that line of conversation. I think that's important. So Evie, before we um, kind of wrap up and ask the, the question about the, the club that you support and um, kind of the, the football culture you grew up with as a, as a young woman, um, what are maybe three practical things uh, for people listening to this that are takeaways that they can do that they may not have a, a strength and conditioning background, but they could start to incorporate with, soccer players that they're working with and obviously knowing that people listening to the show you know range from working with youth players that are u6 u8 all the way up to you know u18 u19 um and, and above uh, college age players so on what are i don't know maybe three exercises and they could involve weights they could be you know just natural resistance of the body um, that you would recommend that they try or players try, um, you know, to, to become better and more physically fit? Um, I think for, I would say for youth, especially, I think it's really important. And I, I think we're, we're really limited in the amount of time that we have with players to spend on those things. Uh, although it's not an excuse. So I always use the, the warm up as a as a time to really hammer micro doses of like good movement quality stuff. So it's really easy, I think, for coaches to um, go with the motions through the motions and warm ups because it's just like oh, just go just do this warm up and stuff. And you can rather like just spend ten minutes of really good good movement quality um, in those ten minutes, and then. That can be if you if you're doing it with youth, it's important to slow them down. Um, and I say that because a lot of people would say, as a kid, you don't want to be slowed down. You just want to let them have the freedom. But if you're dealing with kids that are going through the growth spurt and they're completely out of coordination, their coordination is terrible. And especially, I'll say, boys. 13, 14 year olds, uh, they're like, they need to be slowed down in terms of like, can you hit a march and a skip in a warm up to really challenge them, their coordination? Like, opposite arm, opposite leg, marches and skips. Um, can you introduce landing mechanics for me? I think that's huge for soccer players. If you're, if you're not doing landing mechanics, like you should be like, and that, that doesn't mean doing crazy plyos, crazy jumps. It means literally just tell them to drop to a drop squat. How, how are they absorbing forces? 
are they lower, lowering their hips to absorb the impact? I always give the really simple cue of I want it to land, but I want a silent landing. Like I don't want to hear your foot stomping like on the ground um, to kind of teach them that landing mechanics because that's exactly what they have to, their brain is going to tell them when they're decelerating at a really high, high force, high velocity. So coordination, big thing. Um, landing mechanics, another big thing. And for soccer players, really important to develop uh, hamstring and adductors. Um, and I would say you don't have to be really – if you don't have a strength and conditioning coach and you don't have a gym, I would say the best – thing to really develop your hamstrings are sprinting is we say sprinting is the really biggest vaccine against hamstring injuries um so exposing athletes to to all maximum like all kinds of sprinting and that can be with kids you can do a relay race and there we go you have players like sprinting two or three times in a warm-up having that exposure um we always do like in the professional level, we always do that uh, two or three more than 90% of the max speed of a player exposures. So pretty much how can I create in my warm up after they're really warmed up, you really have to warm the, the hamstrings up for that. How can I create like a relay race where they have 15 yards where they have to sprint as hard as they can. Um, so that's really important. And I would say strength training. It's extremely important for me, I think, for young female players, for just players in general. Having, developing a, a strength since a young age, it's huge. Um, and again, teaching good movement quality for those kids, um, teaching them how to decelerate. Because sometimes we just teach them how to sprint and how to go as fast as they can, but we don't teach them how to uh, break. And that's the most important thing. Um, you can do that like with a simple game of red light, green light, where when you, do, when you tell them to go green light, they go as fast as you can. When you say stop, they have to slowly decelerate into a lunge position. And you can make it as fun as, as you want by when they are at stop, you try to get them out of balance and, with young kids, they love that. Like you're like, okay, freeze, and then you try to get out, get them out of position, and you, they, they don't know that. You probably, you don't know that, but you're teaching them how to stabilize, decelerate, control in positions, and all that. So, and that can all be done during warmups. You really don't don't need to spend a lot of time. If you do that a little bit every day, that's that's it. You know. Um, so that's, I think that's the, the biggest thing. And also fitness in terms of fitness, um, be really understand if you, if you, the fitness you're doing is, is relevant to, to the game again. Um, I would say that just because we'd say aerobic, right? We need to have aerobic capacity, like the, the engines to play soccer. A lot of the times you do that in just by training. You get the aerobic by training. So you don't have to spend a lot of long runs during, during competitive season. 
I would say, yeah, if you're in off season and you're not training that much, then yeah, you have to, cons- you still have to get that um, into your training. But understanding energy sy- systems, uh, I, I think that's kind of really specific for, and, and kind of, uh, I don't know if a lot of people will understand that because we'll, it's easy for me to say because I've been to school and I did the exercise physiology and all that. But, you know, players need to know how to sprint. They, they have to sprint and be able to do it again and again and again. So we call repeated sprint training a thing. So like sprinting uh, no more than eight seconds, then resting about 25, 30 seconds, doing it again, doing it again. But again, always be um, – I'll always know how many reps don't do it too much. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's the, the, those are the biggest things. I think it's more than three, but no, <laughs> what came to my mind. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, I'll let you ask the, uh, the question we always ask to wrap up. Oh, so, so now it's back to Corinthians. So you, <laughs> you cringed when I said Corinthians. So terrible. What is your team then? We love it because we're soccer people. We all are brought here from the commonality of of soccer. It's our passion. Yeah. It's our love. Who Who's your team? Who's the team that makes you the most excited and the most depressed like I was yesterday when Liverpool lost to Watford? <laughs> you know, was the, the awesome thing about this is it's Atletico Mineiro, who I actually played for, which was yeah. the best thing ever. I was able to – play for the club I always loved and I actually played in our stadium with about it was 15,000 people um, oh, wow. who played wow. that was because there was an immense team playing afterwards was but, Ronaldinho uh, playing next <laughs> yeah not not then but yeah. uh but yeah it was awesome just to play in, like in the stadium that I always went to watch them play and um, and actually play for that team and, you know, have the wearing the jersey of the team I love. That was awesome. But I like Liverpool. Oh, yeah, see, me too. That's my team. Yeah, I like <laughs> so, because they got a lot of Brazilians, right? <laughs> yeah. Alisson, Fabinho, <laughs> Firmino. Yeah. They they yeah. They're crushing, crushing every, everybody. Except for except, yesterday. Except, except for yesterday. yesterday. What what's yeah. your first memory of Atletico Mineiro? Uh it was I don't know if you guys know this guy, Marquis. He was like uh, one of our biggest idols. Did like he play he, in Europe at all? No, I don't think he got to that yeah, point. We wouldn't but, know him then. <laughs> I know. I know. But I did I, I do remember a lot of Ronaldinho when yeah. he played there. I was actually in college. I I brought uh one of my uh college friends to Brazil and I went to to a, a game where he played and it was awesome yeah. um, but that's yeah. awesome good good memories and well it's in your blood so absolutely right it really is Who, who's really Atletico Mineiro's biggest rival Cruzeiro Cruzeiro okay and Flamengo Flamengo uh, is we hate Flamengo from Rio. and they're like they're the best one right now the best yeah. team in from our Rio. country right now yeah, yeah, yeah. From Rio, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cool. Is Atletico yeah. Monero in Rio or? No, in Belo Horizonte. Belo Horizonte. Yeah, okay. yeah. Horizonte. 
or a zonch. Yeah, another zonch. A zonch. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's where that's where we lost seven zero to our fellow Germans. Cruzeiro. That's where the game was. No. Oh, no. oh, oh, oh! In the Germany in Brazil, seven zero. Copa Mundial, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was there. It was awful. Oof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People burning flags and all. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Evie Casagrande, if uh, if people want to connect with you and, and follow along with the, the work you're doing with Orlando Pride, how can they follow you? Uh, I post post a lot of things on Twitter. Uh, I don't – I'm not really secretive about things that I do. I try to help coaches as much as I can. Yeah. Um, Go so ahead I and share everything. Your, your Twitter profile. It's just Evie Casagrande. I-V-I-C-A-S-A-G-R-A-N-D-E. And same for Instagram. Um, but, yeah, Twitter would be the best best place to connect for sure. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast, Evie, and uh, wish yes, you, you Orlando Pride nothing but success. Um, I know both Aaron and I are, are big NWSL fans, so we'll definitely be watching. And, uh, yes, thank you. Thank you. You have some some uh, world class players on your team. <laughs> we were talking yes. about in the in the pre chat a little bit, and um, yeah. it'll be exciting to see. Uh, so I, I wish you nothing but the best, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, guys. So, Aaron, uh, I just wrote down some names, and I know we didn't talk about um, some of these world-class players, but just imagine working with these players on a daily basis, right? So Alex Morgan, Ali Krieger, Marta Silva, Ashlyn Harris, Sidney LaRue, and those were just the names that came to my mind, um, not doing a full roster search for the Orlando Pride. So Evie gets to work <laughs> with each of those athletes on a daily basis, and I, my notebook that I typically, you know, jot down things when we have guests on is full with things that I, I wrote down, um, things like big ambition. And we were talking a little bit before that, and I don't know if this is sort of a, you know, if people want to call it an immigrant story, an underdog story, you know, kind of climbing uphill, however you want to categorize it, but it's this big ambition to do something great in life. And I just, I absolutely love that, you know, nothing has been given to Evie in her career um, as, a, as a professional, and whether it be a playing career, um, now working as a strength and conditioning coach, but she's always embraced that challenge. And I think that is you know, we love those types of guests on this podcast that just have that mental, you know, wherewithal to just take on anything and, you know, kick some butt. I mean, such a, a humble person and a humble mentality to, to really just go where the experiences will teach her. And I mean, I think it's a great story. I think we've had other coaches on, I mean, to, to recognize that, you know, I gotta, if I want this, and as you said, this ambition I got to go and find those mentors. I've got to go find the opportunities to learn. And sometimes you're not financially rewarded, um, but you are, 
experience experientially rewarded and i think that's 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 important and just to have that that growth mindset that that humble attitude of saying i gotta learn i want to keep learning i want to learn from my athletes that i'm working with today learn she even mentioned you know the being challenged by the interns that work with her now at the orlando pride i think that growth mindset is is going to continue to take her farther and farther as she works with professional athletes, youth national team uh, programs, and, and, and whoever else uh, she has the opportunity, and they have the, the fortune for her to work with them. Yeah. Uh, people know that if they've listened to the show for a little while or, or follow some of the stuff that I post on social media from time to time, that uh, I'm a really big fan of, of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. And one of his things that he talks about on a regular basis is eating dirt. And Aaron, it's exactly what you said of, you know, sometimes we have to do those things in life. And I, I went through this probably over the last five or six years where you have to put yourself in a situation that the dividend doesn't pay itself off or pay, you know, pay off until later down the road. So you have to volunteer, you have to go bag balls, you have to pick up cones, you have to do things that are not glamorous at times, but in the end, chances are they'll work out. And if you really want something, you'll figure out a way to make it work. And, you know, uh, I mean, it's just, it, it goes without saying that that hard work and that perseverance and that dedication, I mean, it never goes out of style. And that is the people that typically succeed uh, have those qualities. And I absolutely love that from Evie. And, um, you know, I hope she has a, a really successful uh, NWSL season as they're getting ready to kick off here uh, very, very soon. Um, I also love that she talked about methodology and philosophy and it's something that you and I have talked about before that really it's this sort of evolving and, and changing thing, right? And, you know, I, I love this lifelong learner mentality that mm -hmm. you just see, she, it just comes across in her delivery. Um, I think that's really important because it's great to start with an idea but it's also being open to adapting and changing and, you know, pivoting as things and audiences that you're working with change too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to kind of change to more of a, of a technical thing that she talked about, you know, the movement quality stuff was, was really fascinating to me um, that it's so vital to understand those specific movements in soccer and how we train and are we training the correct movements, biomechanics, are we warming the team up in the correct way to mimic the, uh, the actions that they're going to, they're going to be doing over the next, you know, 75 minutes or 80 minutes of the training session. So from a technical aspect, I really appreciated those things. And, and you don't even need a strength and conditioning coach to understand those, those actions and those, those fundamental ideas. And so I really, I really like that too. I think a lot of people can gain something out of that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I joked about get on the line. Um, but the, you know, some of the youth coaches I had that, that was truly their favorite phrase. And yeah. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this before, um, just in our private conversations, that we actually both probably do very little get on the line type of work because of the environment we're training in. And a lot of, you know, I, I told my guys this recently, a lot of our, um, you know, fitness as it relates to the game of soccer has to be done in 
soccer environments. Mm -hmm. So the types of small-sided games we're playing or, you know, the type of activity that we're working on, the intensity has to be there in order for us to get the fitness we need, um, you know, to be better off. Yeah, anybody can get on the line and run back and forth. And, you know, my youth soccer coaches thought that was a great idea. Um, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually had a coach, I probably have told this story before, but had a coach literally the minute that we got to the field, we didn't even touch a ball. It was run the perimeter of the field, um, you know, a number of times. And, uh, oh, God, it was, oh, I, I like cringe thinking about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah. My favorite, my favorite coaches. Don't even bring a ball out. We don't need it yet. Okay. <laughs> Good job. And I always buddy. like to ask uh, those coaches, what what sport are we playing again? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, this podcast comes out every Wednesday. So be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And guys, it does really mean a lot to both Aaron and I when you leave us a five star rating and a review that if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, uh, it takes you all of 30 seconds to do that. So go there now and leave that five-star rating and review and help more and more people in the soccer and football world find out about this show. Um, Aaron, if people want to connect with you on social media, how can they find you? At Ohio Soccer Coach, Twitter, Instagram. And you can find me uh, at Soccer Coach JB, both on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the On the Touchline podcast. I'm Jason Broadwater. And I'm Aaron Rodgers. <laughs>